Welcome to the Faith Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. We believe today's message will empower you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Here's today's message. Today we're starting the I Believe series. Why do we believe what we believe? Some people only believe because they came to church and they felt something. Now that's great that you felt something, but how many know feelings change? So we have to know why we believe this book. So today at the start of the series, I'm going to talk about the integrity of the Word of God. The integrity of the Word of God. So open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. And this series, we're going to learn why we believe what we believe. Something that we call apologetics. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. We'll go through a lot of information today. So I encourage you to get the notes on the Bible app. If you're watching us online, make sure you click that link to get the notes as well. 1 Peter 3.15. Notice what Peter says by the Holy Ghost. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always. How often? To give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. That word ready, of course, means to be prepared. That word answer comes from the Greek word apologia, which means defense. So the Holy Ghost says, be always ready to give a defense for why you believe what you believe. Always have a defense for the hope that's on the inside of you. You shouldn't be, well, I believe this just because I believe in, well, you can't tell me what I don't believe. Well, that's true, but you should know why, logically, and from the word of God, you believe what you believe. That's why we're going to talk about the integrity of God's word today. And notice it didn't say respond arrogantly or conceited. Well, I know what I believe, and you crazy. Can't believe you believe something like that. No, it says be able to give a defense with meekness and fear, or the Amplified Version says with gentleness or courteously and with respect. So you should be able to give a defense for what you believe and answer in gentleness and respect. No matter who asks you, whether a non-believer, whether in another religion, whether in a cult, you should be able to give a defense with gentleness and respect. So let's start with the word Bible. What does the word Bible mean? It means book of books. The word Bible means book of books. There are 66 books in the Bible. Now, one criticism or accusation in this series, I'm going to deal with different criticism or accusations. People are leveling against the word of God, especially on social media today. Now, there's several different criticisms that we can defend, but that series would take all year. So I'm targeting some different issues that people have asked me about in recent months, as well as different things I've seen people share and people's faith has been shaken. But the thing is, we're going to give a defense so that your faith won't be shaken. So first criticism or accusation against the word of God we're going to deal with is that they say that it was written at the Council of Jamnia in AD 90 or the Council of Nicaea in AD 325. They accuse that the Bible was written in the Council of Jamnia in AD 90 or the Council of Nicaea in AD 325. So here's defense number one. 
The Bible was written by 40 authors over a period of 1,500 years. 40 authors over a period of 1,500 years. These 40 authors were from every walk of life, including kings, peasants, philosophers, fishermen, poets, statesmen, scholars, etc. Here's some examples. Moses was a political leader trained in the universities of Egypt. Peter was a fisherman. Amos was a herdsman. Joshua was a military general. Nehemiah was a cupbearer. Daniel was a prime minister. Luke was a doctor. Solomon was a king. Matthew was a tax collector. And Paul was a rabbi. They were written in different places. Moses wrote in the wilderness. Jeremiah in a dungeon. Daniel on a hillside and in a palace. Paul inside prison walls. Luke while traveling. John on the Isle of Patmos and others in the rigors of a military campaign. This book was written on three continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe. The Bible was written on three continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe. Written in three different languages. Hebrew, it's the main language of the Old Testament, but also Aramaic, and then Greek, which is the main language in the New Testament. Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. So here's some more evidence for the defense of when the Bible was written. Evidence number one. The exodus of the Jews from Egypt was in 1446 BC. During Moses' time on Sinai and in the wilderness, Moses penned the first five books of the Bible, also known as the law or the Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Under the direction of God. This goes in stark contrast to the lie that it was written in A.D. 90 or A.D. 325. Here's some former criticism people gave concerning Moses writing those five books. They would say that writing was not in use back in 1446 B.C., or if it was, it was used sparingly in the time of Moses, and no way Moses could have wrote all the things he wrote. So they said that the five books were written much later. Here's a rebuttal. Archaeologists discovered detailed writings of the laws of Hammurabi. Now, the thing about the laws of Hammurabi, Hammurabi was 300 years before Moses. So that gave proof, yes, writing was then, and yes, Moses could have written those books. Evidence number two, the entire Old Testament was finished way before 300 B.C. The entire Old Testament was finished before 300 B.C. How do I also know that? It was translated into Greek around 250 B.C. And the Greek version of the Old Testament is called the Septuagint. So the thing is, it has to be done if it's translated. You can't translate a book that hasn't been written yet. Evidence number three. With the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls in the last century, a number of Old Testament manuscripts have been found which scholars date before the time of Christ. Now, one of the things about manuscripts and scrolls, they're not the original copies. They're copies of the original work. So they found copies that were before the time of Jesus, who was born around B.C. 6 or a little bit after that, depending on how you use the Julian calendar. So that, once again, says over 100 years to 400 years before then, the Old Testament was already finished. Now concerning the New Testament, evidence number four. The books of the New Testament were the most frequently copied and widely circulated books of antiquity. 
the books of the New Testament were the most frequently copied and widely circulated books of antiquity. So let me read you this quote from Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. There are now more than 5,300 known Greek manuscripts of the New Testament. Add over 10,000 Latin Vulgate and at least 9,300 other early versions. And we have more than 24,000 manuscript copies of portions of the New Testament in existence today. No other document of antiquity even begins to approach such numbers and attestation. In comparison, the Iliad by Homer is second with only 643 manuscripts that still survive. The first complete preserved text of Homer dates from the 13th century. Now, how many of you remember reading Homer's Iliad or Odyssey in school? When you read it, did they ever say, well, we doubt Homer wrote this because we only have 643 copies? We, we don't know if he really wrote this because the full complete copy we have is from the 13th century. No, they say, well, Homer wrote this. This is what they believed back then. Let's read it, right? So Homer's Iliad was written in 900 BC. The earliest copy, at least a fragment of it on record, is 400 BC. 500 years later, with 643 manuscripts still surviving, or copies of it from ancient times. The New Testament was written between 40 AD and 100 AD. Its earliest copy on record is 125 AD, just 25 years later, with over 24,000 manuscripts still surviving. So if you apply the same test they do to Plato and Aristotle, whose writings don't even compare to the number of copies remaining of Homer's Iliad, the same test that scholars use to determine accuracy you have to apply it to the Bible as well. And you can't say it was written after AD 325 or Jamea. Evidence number five. Translations of the New Testament to Syriac and Latin were made around 150 AD. Once again, to translate a book, the book must be done. So you can't write it in AD 325. Evidence number six. The New Testament was quoted extensively by early church fathers. Now, who are early church fathers? They were leaders of the church in the first few centuries after the death of the original apostles. The first early church fathers were disciples of the apostles. They knew them personally. Here's some early church fathers. Arrhenius said that he had the preaching of the apostles still echoing in his ears and their doctrine in front of their eyes. In his writings... He quotes from Matthew, Mark, Luke, Acts, 1 Corinthians, 1 Peter, Hebrews, and Titus. So if you quote for something, it's got to be already done. Ignatius, who lived from AD 70 to 110, was the bishop of Antioch and was martyred. His seven writings contain quotations from Matthew, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, Ephesians, Philippians, Galatians, Colossians, James, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy, and 1 Peter. Clement of Alexandria, who lived from A.D. 150 to 212. 2,400 of his quotes are, are from all but three books of the New Testament. So he quoted 24 of 27 books in his writings. Tertullian, he was from the church in Carthage and quotes the New Testament more than 7,000 times, of which 3,800 are from the Gospels. Hippolytus, A.D. 170 to 235. 
has more than 1,300 references. Origen, born around 8185. This writer wrote more than 6,000 works. He lists more than 18,000 New Testament quotes. So in total, there were 32,000 citations of the New Testament prior to the time of the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD. Once again, you can't quote a book that's not written yet. And this is not just one fact, it's several. And also, these church fathers referred to these books as Scripture. So how do we know we the correct books were included in the Bible? What did the Council of Jamea in AD 90 actually do? The Council of Jamea officially recognized our 39 Old Testament books. It did not give them authority. Some people say, well, it gave them authority and they wrote it to control people. No, they didn't. It merely recognized what was already established Jewish scriptures. One of the tests for the Jewish canon, the 39 Old Testament books, was was it accepted by the people of God? And was it found in the temple? And was it passed down that like these 39 books were? The early church councils where the New Testament was concerned applied several basic standards in recognizing whether a book was inspired or written by the Holy Ghost. The first one is, is it authoritative? Or does it thus save the Lord? Is it prophetic? Is it written by a man or woman of God? It says a book in the Bible must have authority of a spiritual leader of Israel in the Old Testament, a prophet, king, judge, or scribe, or an apostle of the church in the New Testament. It must be based on the testimony of the original apostles. The next one was, is it authentic? Is it consistent with other revelation of truth? Next was, is it dynamic? Does it demonstrate God's life-changing power? Remember, it says in Hebrews 4.12, the power of the word of God. Last one, is it received? Was it accepted and used by believers? So this wasn't just someone written down or haphazardly put together one day. People say, oh, this sounds spiritual, let's put it together. There were tests done on every single document to make sure what you have in your hands today is what thus saith the Lord. So more support for the integrity of the Word of God. Jesus refers to the Old Testament books as Scripture. He quotes from several books of the Old Testament, including Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Hosea, Micah, Psalms, Malachi, Isaiah, Daniel, and Zechariah. He most frequently quoted from Psalms, Deuteronomy, Isaiah, and Exodus. Go to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. You need to know why you believe what you believe. As you turn there, I'm not giving you this information so you can get in a fight. It's like, oh, now, now I'm ready. I'm going to handle these people. Remember, it says, give a defense with gentleness and respect. Because all this information... It won't turn a lot of people's minds. It's the job of the Holy Ghost to convict. Your job is to give a defense. And when it's time, you give your testimony. We'll talk about it in, that ser in this series as well. And you let God be God. Because some people, you can prove 
up and down. The Bible is the word of God and what the Bible says is true, but they won't believe because they don't want to. It's not your job to convince them. It's your job to give a defense. Matthew 4, verse 4. But he, Jesus, answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Go to Luke chapter 4. Jesus was a student of the word of God. You should be a student of the word of God. Luke chapter 4. Verse 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. His custom was anytime he went to a city, he would read this scripture before he would preach. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. He knew what he was looking for. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recover in sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it again to the minister and sat down. Now go to 2 Timothy 3. Jesus considered the Old Testament scripture. And Jesus considered it important enough to study. So should you. Second Timothy. Chapter 3. Start at verse 14. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. Notice what Paul tells Timothy by the Holy Ghost. But continue thou in the things which you has learned and has been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Now, what scripture would Timothy heard as a child? The Old Testament, before the New Testament was written. Paul's still pinning it. Notice what Paul says about Scripture. All Scripture. Some Scripture? The Scripture you agree with. The Scripture that doesn't test your modern thinking or your modern believing or your modern living. Even the Scripture that talks about not having sex before marriage. Even the Scripture talks about forgiving your enemies. Even the Scripture talks about walking in love. Even the Scripture that talks about tithing. Even the scripture that talks about doing what's right no matter what anyone else says. Okay, just make sure y'all know. All scripture is given by inspiration of God or is God breathed. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now, Timothy was taught the Old Testament because his mother and his grandmother were Jewish. He learned the scriptures. I go to 2 Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1. 
Start with verse 19. Second Peter 1, verse 19. Notice the Holy Ghost says through Peter, we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shines in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scriptures of any private interpretation for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Notice what Peter said. He didn't say these men, this Old Testament that we read from, they didn't make it up. They didn't think, well, this would be a good idea. Let's write down some things. He says the Holy Ghost moved them, so they wrote. Go to chapter 3. Verse 1. So we have established multiple times that they saw the Old Testament as scripture, to be followed, to be obeyed, that foretold about Jesus. We'll look at that more next week and all the prophecies that talked about him and who he is. Second Peter 3, verse 1, says, This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Notice what he just did. He just equated the Old Testament and the writings of the apostles as the same. So people would try to say, you watch different history channels or geographic specials, and says, well, these men did not know they were writing scripture. They didn't know people would read it after they're gone. Yes, they did. If they equated it to the Old Testament, which was done about four to 500 years before this date of this writing of this letter, then they knew that people will read it after they're gone. Especially when you read 2 Peter and 2 Timothy, these are some of the last letters that Peter and Paul wrote. They wrote it because they knew they're about to die. And when you read the other epistles, they said, share it around, keep it passing around. Look at verse 15. Another proof they knew what they were writing was scripture. Said, and account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, has written unto you. And also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, and which are some things hard to be understood. You know, Paul's deep, and Peter calls him deep. Peter walked with Jesus, says, Man, Paul, Paul, is something else. Which they that are unlearned and unstable rest as they also do the other scriptures unto their own destruction. So not only did Peter equate what he and the apostles wrote as scripture, he said that what the apostle Paul wrote in his letters is scripture. And it says the same people who wrestle against the Old Testament wrestle what's in these letters and they're going to do it to their own destruction. They knew what they were writing was scripture. Evidence number seven, eyewitness accounts, eyewitness accounts. If you watch the news, they have eyewitness news. Well, so-and-so was there. Tell me what you saw. Go to Luke chapter one, verse one. 
eyewitness accounts. Evidence number seven. So I encourage you to read through the entire Bible. This month, read through the book of Matthew and the book of Titus. One of the reasons we're doing the Bible reading plans to make sure you're reading through the Bible, not just your favorite scriptures. Luke chapter 1, verse 1. For as much as many have taken in hand, as many have taken in hand, to set forth and order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto you in order, most excellent Theophilus, that you might know the certainty of those things when you have been instructed. So he's writing to this Gentile, he's writing to this Roman, so that he knows exactly what he's been told is the truth. Now, when he looked through Luke's writings, he wrote the book of Luke that bears his name and the book of Acts. Luke was not there for all the writings of the book of Luke. He wasn't there for a good part of the book of Acts. You know what part he joined? Because when his writing changed, he said, we went here and we went this and we did that. So how did Luke get all this information? He went and investigated. When you look at the first few chapters, you see things that, and Mary hid these things in her heart. Now, how would you know that unless the Holy Ghost told you? He went and talked to Mary. Mary was still alive. She lived with John in Ephesus. So he went and investigated. And the Holy Ghost led him in his investigation. He put all these things together. So he went and talked to these many eyewitnesses and put it together so this Roman person, possibly an official, knew exactly what he was told was the truth. Now, you know Luke was detail-oriented because he was a doctor. And how many know doctors, well, at least they should be, are (laughs) detail-oriented? This doctor was, at least. Eyewitness accounts. Go to John 19, verse 30. Evidence number seven, eyewitness accounts. This wasn't just something that was told them. John 19, verse 30. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. He bowed his head and gave up the ghost. He died. The Jews, therefore, because it was a preparation that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for the Sabbath day was a high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and break the legs of the first and the other which were crucified with them. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they break not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side and forthwith came there out blood and water. And he that saw it bear record, and his record is true. And he knows that what he says is true, that you might believe. So John pauses the story, says, I was right there. I saw him die. I saw them take the spear and pierce his side. He was dead. Go to chapter 21. So we read in the next chapters here, Jesus rises from the dead. 
And notice what John says at the end of his book that bears his name. This is the disciple which testifies of these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. So he says, I'm not just writing something I heard about. I was there. I saw these things. I'm the disciple. He called, referred to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. How many know that's a good nickname to have for yourself? It's like saying, I'm God's favorite. It's like, how much did John actually believe this? Remember when Jesus told the rest of the table, he didn't give them any specifics, but John really believed that Jesus would tell him. So he leaned on Jesus and said, hey, you can tell me. So he's saying, I was right there. I saw these things happen. Go to 1 John chapter 1. First John chapter one. Looking at evidence number seven, eyewitness accounts. We've already proven several times over that the Bible is written where when it said it was written. So let's look at their eyewitness accounts. First John chapter one, verse one. Notice what it says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifest and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that you may also have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. Notice how many times he said in the first few scriptures, I'm telling you what I saw. I'm telling you what I heard. I was there. Because one of the things is heresy always tries to spring up, and the enemy always tries to come up with confusion. And one of the things that John is addressing in his letters is a false doctrine called Gnosticism. And some people were saying that Jesus wasn't a real man, that he was just a spirit, he was just a ghost. And John is one of the last remaining apostles. Everyone else had been martyred. They had died already. John's alive and says, hey, look at this. I was there. I saw him. I heard him. I touched him. You can't tell me he didn't exist. You weren't there. You weren't even alive. How are you telling me what actually happened? John gives his eyewitness account. Evidence number eight. The martyrs. Evidence number eight. The martyrs. What is a martyr? The word actually from the Greek means witness. But it was given to those who died for their faith. See, the thing is, you don't die for a con. You don't die for a con. Go back to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. Notice what it says in verse 16. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables. We did not make this up. This is not some con we created to control people or to scheme people out of their money. 
when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which, we, which came from heaven we heard when we were with them in the holy mount. This is the last letter Peter wrote before he was crucified upside down. You see, the thing is, if you made this up, you might endure little pressure, but you don't die for a con. You don't die for something you made up. You would recant and says, whatever Caesar wants so that you can live, because the reason you created a con was so that you can have some type of influence. But Peter, to the very end, I'm not turning on him. And so they were going to crucify him. But he says, I'm not worthy to die the same death as my Lord. Crucify me upside down, which was more painful. What about some of the other apostles? Andrew, Peter's brother, was scourged. Then they tied him to a cross instead of nailing him so that he would suffer for a longer time before dying. Andrew lived for two days. Hanging on that cross, because you don't die from blood loss on the cross, you die from suffocation. So what did he do for those two days? He preached to everybody that walked by. James, you see in Acts chapter 12, was beheaded. Philip, Simon, Thaddeus, and Bartholomew were crucified. Thomas was speared through. Matthew was stabbed to death. James, the brother of Jesus, was beaten and then stoned. Paul was beheaded. Of this group, the apostle John was the only one who died of old age. They were willing to die. There were different periods of tense and persecution in the empire. Some under Nero, some of the other governors and Caesars. They would feed people to the lions. One of the things, one of the, one of the sick things Nero did, because he did many, he would set Christians on fire to light his dinner parties. And Paul still said, pray for him. They fed them to the lions. It was part of the games they would have in different coliseums to watch these believers who refused to recant, who refused to deny Jesus, to watch them die. Remember reading one account of the martyrs, that what they would do is they would try to arrest the entire church, and they would want to kill the pastor first, because they think if the pastor has a horrible death, then everybody else will recant. So they developed a signal. They said, Pastor, when they set you on fire, when they kill you, if the grace of God is enough, give us a signal. So they took the pastor into the Colosseum. They set the fire, and as the fire was consuming his body, he lifted his thumb up, saying, the grace of God is enough, and they all boldly marched to their death. You don't do that for a con. You don't do for that for something that's not real. You don't make a stand like that if you don't believe what was written. So that's the first generation. What about the next generation that only had, unless they knew the apostles and only had their scriptures? There's a man named Polycarp who was the disciple of the apostle John. He died a martyr's death at 86 because of his relentless devotion to Christ in the scriptures. About 155, in the reign of Atonis Pius, when a local persecution was taking place in ancient Smyrna, and several of his members of his church had been martyred, he was singled out as the leader of the church and marked for martyrdom. 
The person in charge then said he was old, so they would give him a chance to recant. He says, recant and live, and live the rest of your days as an old man. Polycarp said, 80 and six years have I served him. He has done me no wrong. How can I speak evil of my king who saved me? He was burned at the stake, dying a heroic martyr for his faith. The Council of Athanasius in AD 367 and the Council of Carthage in AD 397 recognized, not authorized, the 27 books in our New Testament today as inspired. So what was the Council of Nicaea in AD 325, where the accusation says they wrote the Bible, but now we know they didn't then? Got to remember, 25 years before, Rome was persecuting the church, killing Christians, torturing Christians, giving them up to gruesome deaths. Constantine on the battlefield had an encounter and saw a cross. He's the emperor. He converted to Christianity after he won the battle. And he now said Christianity is not an enemy religion. He made Christianity legal. And because he believed it would be best for the peace of the empire for a unified church, at the time, in the church there was a heresy going on about who Jesus really was. We'll get into that next week. We'll talk about Christology, which is the study of Jesus. And so he called church fathers together from all over the empire. Remember, just a few years ago, they were enemy number one. So when these church fathers came from over the empire, some of them still had the scars of the whip when they were scourged. There's one church father whose eye was missing. Others had different deformities because they stood up for Jesus. And so now here they are as invited guests of the emperor. The emperor comes and greets him himself and says, decide on this doctrinal matter. He says this piece, and then for days they go over the scriptures and they talk about who Jesus really is and they made that confession concerning his divinity and who he really was. They didn't create it. They just said, here's what the scriptures say. And here's what we believe. These weren't people who would compromise for anything. Why? They were just persecuted to unbelievable extents. So why would they compromise on doctrine? Just because it's a legal belief system now. You have a Bible in your hand people died for, not just Jesus. From that time, thousands and thousands of people gave their life so you can have this. Yet we see a meme or a YouTube video and we give up. Watch things. Oh, I've seen evidence. So have I. See, the Bible is not just proved by the spiritual power it has. You can study out in history and see the different things. Christianity is not the belief system where you check your brains at the door. Jesus wants you to think. We research, we study this book because it is the word of God. It has integrity. We can live by it. So then I'll make this statement since we've proven, not even using all the proofs, just some of the proofs of the integrity of the word of God. I live by the word. The word has final say over my life. 
The word gives my life direction, not my gender, not my financial status, not a political party, not a sex drive, not my race. My skin color does not tell me what to believe. But too many times in this generation, we've let external things make decisions about what we believe here. And don't let them throw you. You have a defense for your faith. And this is just day number one. So this was all my introduction. I'll pick it up from here next week. Did this help anybody today? So stand to your feet. The reason we're singing this song over and over again because it's good doctrine. It's based on the Apostles' Creed, which was a confession that they've been saying since the first century AD. It sums up the very basic core tenets of our belief. So let's sing this all together. Then we'll pray and do our altar call. Then we'll go home. But don't leave. Sing with them. Go ahead, guys. I hope you enjoyed today's message. We never want to close a broadcast without giving you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you've never asked him into your heart, you've never made him your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer with me today and mean it from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died for me, but on the third day, you raised him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live this Christian life. If you prayed that prayer and meant it from your heart, we believe you've been born again. We ask that you email us at info at FCCGA.com. That's FCCGA.com to let us know about the decision you've made for Christ today. Have an amazing day.